You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, good morning. You may have a seat. Um, just want to welcome those who are joining us online. I know there's lots of bugs going around uh, right now, or maybe the snow scared you away uh, this morning. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, remember those days in January, you're like, oh, we're almost through winter, you know, and then, yeah, you get tricked every year, right? Um, but uh, it, is, uh, it is good to come together, study God's Word. We're in uh, the book of Genesis, if you're joining us for the first time. Um, Anybody a, uh, a fan of sequels? You know, you like, you, you like sequels? Uh, I would say based on your hand raising, uh, that's not true. Some of you didn't put your hand up. Because there's like, every time some, a movie does well, what happens? Oh, we gotta, we gotta do a sequel, right? They, they may not have even had a plan beforehand, but if it made a certain amount of money, we gotta do it again. And, and um, a sequel is defined as this, a published broadcast or recorded work that continues the story or develops the theme of an earlier one. And as I thought about today's text, it's in some ways like a sequel. Now, if you were with us when we began this series back in September, uh, you were gonna see some things repeated. Uh, last week we talked about the fact that there was a decreation. As we got to the end of chapter seven, we, we see that the waters have once again covered the earth, Genesis 1-2, that, that uh, there is chaos amongst the waters. The water is being driven up out of the deep and then from the heavens the waters are coming down. And um, as we look at chapter 8 this week, we're going to see a recreation. And as we get to chapter 9 next week, guess what? There's going to be a garden and there's going to be a tree and there's going to be fruit and nakedness and shame again. So it may seem like in some ways I've seen this movie before. I think, have, we not, have we not already been through this? But as we get to this week, I, I want us to, to be thinking about what, what will the recreation look like? What is, God, what is God teaching us in this recreation that we're going to see this morning? And so before we get into it, let me, let me just pray for us as we get into the text. God, we, we thank you that... We can gather together this morning. Lord, you've made uh, ways for us to be able to do that. And God, we, we give you thanks. We do not take it for granted that, Lord, we meet with freedom this morning. We, uh, we count it a privilege, God, to gather in your name. Lord, we, we thank you for the family of God and for the encouragement that is as we go out into a world that is full of wickedness and evil and hatred and Lord, it's just so good to come back to a place to know that we are loved by you and loved by one another. God, as we look at your word this morning, God, we pray for your wisdom, for your guidance. Lord, as we look at you bringing recreation to this world, Lord, back from the flood, God, we pray that we would have your heart and mind in these things. God, that you would teach us more about who you are and what you have for us, God, the kind of people, Lord, you desire us to be. And God, we, uh, we pray that you would just lead this preacher uh, as he teaches this word, that it would not be his own words, but Lord, your words. So Lord, lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, so everyone needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 8. We want everybody to be able to look down at God's Word together. As I often say, I have nothing for you, but we believe God's Word has something for us. Everything that hopefully we're going to be learning this morning is coming out of God's Scriptures, not read into God's Scriptures, but out of His Word. That's really key thing to be looking for when you're looking for a church. Uh, we want to hear what God has to say. And uh, so let us hear his word, Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removing the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month... On the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, Every creeping thing and every bird, everything that, had, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. I mentioned last week, uh, chapters 6 and 7 and 8, there's a chiasm here. And the key verse, the hinge verse, the centerpiece verse is chapter 8, verse 1. And we see in the beginning there, But God remembered Noah. In verse 24 of chapter 7, we we read read that there had been water over the face of the earth for 150 days. 
And then it says, but God remembered Noah. It's an interesting phrase, right? If we think about that, it's like, oh, I had forgotten. Is that the case with God? He's like, you know, hey, I was busy off in another galaxy, and then I was like, oh, wow, I forgot about Earth. It was, you know, yeah, it was flooded. I got to go back there. Is that what's going on here? That's not what's going on here. So what is going on when we, we see this phrase, but God remembered? A Brevard child says this, God's remembering always implies his movement toward the object. The essence of God's remembering lies in his acting towards someone because of a previous commitment. As you go through the Pentateuch, which is the next um, three times that you see this phrase, you see that it's in this case where there's, there's a predicament, there, there's a situation that seems dire, and then God moves towards the object, towards the person, based on a previous commitment that he had made. In Genesis 19.29, we see that Lot is saved out of the destruction from, uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because God remembered Abraham. Because of the commitment that he'd made to Abraham, he saved Lot. In Genesis 30.22, we see that God remembered Rachel, who had been barren and unable to have children for many years. And when he remembered her, then she had children. Exodus 2, 24, Israel has been in Egypt for 400 years. They cry out to God. They're groaning because of their slavery. And it says that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In every instance, we see God highlighted God's timing and his faithful love. That there is a, comes to a point where God says, now is the time to move. He is sovereign over these things. And so he moves based on his commitment. God had told Noah that he would save him from destruction. And we see in Genesis 6 and 7, he would save him from destruction. And now he remembers his promises to him and he is going to change everything. And this is what the rest of the chapter is all about. Because God remembers, first we see this, he renews peace and pattern after his storm. Because God remembers, because he is a God who keeps his covenants, who keeps his promises, he renews peace and pattern after his storm. And God had brought complete destruction. We've seen this last week. There was no living being on the face of the earth except for those who were in the ark. Anything that had the breath of life in its lungs, that the only ones that had survived were on the ark. But now it says in verse 1, second part, and God made a wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. As a result of the winds blowing over the face of the earth, the water starts now going down. Now what's interesting is this word for wind is ruach. It's the same, I probably didn't have enough in there, but, um, but it, it's the same word for spirit. Same word for spirit. In Genesis 1, 2, what? We'd seen the spirit ho hovering over the waters. There, there's, this, this, there's this parallel now with the wind. Hamilton puts it like this. At creation, or just prior to creation, the divine ruah hovers majestically, restraining the waters. Here, the divine ruah brings about the evaporation of the waters of judgment. It's just really interesting as we're going through this chapter. We just, 
There's no outright the Holy Spirit did, but we see these, these, these allusions to the Spirit of God. Looking back, we see these allusions to the Spirit of God. And so the waters are beginning to go down. Verse 2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were, was restrained. Uh, this, this wasn't some kind of natural disaster. You know how we like to use that kind of terminology in today. Nowadays, oh, there was a natural disaster. I mean, God is clearly sovereign over all this, right? He opens the heavens when he wants. He closes the heavens when he wants. He opened the deep when he wanted to, and now he's closing the deep, and he is stopping the rain from coming over the earth. He is sovereign over it all. Again, we see the word deep, Genesis 1, 2. Again, there's this parallel back to the deep. In the heavens, verse 2, and what we just read, are also mentioned on day two of creation. All six days are going to be mentioned as we go through this chapter. Verse 3, and the waters receded from the earth continually, and at the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And then the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Right? So five months after the flood had begun, the, the ark finally comes to rest. There, there, there's all kinds of speculation pretty much ever since this has taken place. Uh, there's, there, you know, and the generations have gone by. Then it's like, well, where was it? Where, where, where exactly was it? Maybe Eastern Turkey is their best guess. In that area, there are, there are mountains that are up as high as 17,000 feet, but nobody knows for sure. What, which mountain was it, right? And I'm sure if you Googled right now, we, we know where it is, but the Turkish government is not allowing us to get in there. I don't know. There's all kinds of things you could read that you'll spend forever reading, but no one really knows for sure where it was, right? So, so but here's the thing I want us to catch. Five months into this, and we've already read it, takes a year before they come off the boat. But five months in, God graciously sets that ark on a mountain. Anybody else here get seasick? Like, I, maybe, maybe I see God's grace in a whole different way than you see God's grace in this passage, but, but, you know, that bobbing up and down, up and down, up and down, you know, like, I, I, I remember the last time I was out, and I haven't been out again since, but to stare at the horizon, you know, it's like, I'm staring, I'm staring, you know, it's just, it's not changing anything, I'm not feeling well, and, and right, but, but, what, what are the odds that this ark just happened to hit the one mountain on the entire earth that is uncovered at that moment? Do, do you see God's care for his people here? That he, he takes the ark and he just, in the one spot on the world where there was not yet water, he sets it there. I, I just, God's love and care are being seen as he as the waters are beginning to go down. Again, who's who's making this all this happen? God is the one who's causing the waters to go down. If you recall, Noah's name means rest or comfort. And so we're we're seeing rest and comfort come to Noah, but in an unexpected way. He's bringing rest and relief to this earth. Ross says this, the hope the hope for relief would come only after the ark came to rest 
on dry land. And then we read in verse 5, And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. I, I think really what we're seeing here is there was one really tall mountain, and now as the waters are coming down, two and a half months later, they're, they're the tops of the other mountains are now being seen. It's just this slow progression. I mean, there's so much water on this earth, and it's taking time for it to go down. Two and a half months of not bobbing around, thanks to the Lord's mercy. The Lord is bringing out of the chaos peace and order, pattern to the earth again. Dry land is now coming into being, which is seen what? On day three of creation, the original creation. The Lord is faithful to his promises. I love what Matthew says here. When troubles come, they advance swiftly, but retreat slowly. The emerging earth would once again support life as, as it had at the beginning. With each new stage of its drying, the heart of the captive inmates would, could leap with the, with the hope that the deliverance was nearing. It's not there yet, right? There's no, there's no complete relief yet, but, but they see God's faithfulness. And I think this is such a great reminder to us. When the storms come, anybody ever have any storms come to your life? Any trials come to your life? Oftentimes what? They come very quickly. You know, you're not, you're not like, I'm getting fired on a Monday. I can't wait. I mean, usually it just happens, right? They're, they're usually, there's not, a, you know, you could, maybe they're like, oh, it seems like the company's not doing great. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But when it happens, it happens suddenly. And, and oftentimes it takes time to find the next job. There's, there's, there's time involved before the relief comes. So it is when we lose a loved one. Oftentimes, again, it happens suddenly, you unexpectedly. And when that happens, you, it takes time to mourn the loss of that person. Oftentimes, you, you never truly get fully over it. And when the storms come, when the trials come to life, they happen suddenly, as Matthew says here. But, but it takes time for the storms to go away. This is the situation for Noah. And yet, clearly, for those of us much later in time, we can see God is at work. And I think Noah could see that God was at work. The water is slowly going down. And I just want to encourage you this morning that, that God is with you this morning. If you're in that time of life where it's just really, really hard. You've had some things happen that you did not expect, and, and right now you're really wrestling with, with God, is this ever going to end? Well, let's be reminded this morning that God does bring relief to his people. Most importantly, let's remember that he is with us. Just as he was with Noah, he is with you. Romans 8, if, you have, if you're really wrestling right, with these things this, this week, I, I want to just encourage you, turn to Romans 8. Be reminded in verse 28 that God uses all things together for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to this, his purpose. Whatever's happening in your life right now, God is 100% in control. He is sovereign over the things that are happening. It may not seem it. It may seem like you're being tossed to and fro and, 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 and there's, just, there's no ground and, and you're being churned. But listen, God is over it and he's using it, what? so that you might become more like his son, Christ, verse 29. And we can take comfort in the fact that, that though that, maybe whatever happened in your life happened quickly, God is, God is slowly bringing peace 
to you and order back into your life. And then you get to the end of chapter eight. What does it tell us? That nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be assured of these things this morning. Just as God was with Noah in the ark, God is with you as you're going through the storm in your life. So we see evidence of God's faithfulness here. It is important to be watching for God at work in your life. I remember going through the hardest storm I've ever gone through in my life. I don't know, maybe I'll encounter worse ones yet before I see the Lord. But, but I remember going through the storms and I, in Lamentations 3, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. God, help me to see you at work. God, as I'm going through this thing that I'm going through right now, I, I just need to see evidences of you at work. Ask him for that. And you will see he is with you. Now, sometimes the peace won't come until the end when we will be with him, right? Perhaps you, you, know, you have a, a, a diagnosis that you know, you have a disease and it's, it's terminal. You're, you're not going to get out of this one. But God will walk you through that time and then what? You'll have peace. You'll be with him in his presence forevermore. And so for God's people, this is our hope this morning. Whatever you're going through, remember God is faithful and he's with you and his love will never be taken with, away from you. Because God remembers, he renews peace and pattern after his storm. Secondly, because God remembers, he renews mission and mandate for his servants. I want to just highlight here again these days of creation. Verses 6 through 12, we're reminded of day 4 of creation when the birds were created. 17 to 19 speak of the creatures that were created on day 5. In verses 16 and 18, it speak of Noah and his family, which takes us back to six, the sixth day of creation. The recreation is happening we're told that after 40 days, Noah sends out two different birds, a raven and a dove, presumably for the same purpose. The raven is being sent out for the same reason as the dove, where the, waters of the, level, where, where the levels of water at on the earth. Noah can't see, right? The way God had him build the boat, he, he has to trust these birds to help him figure out where the water level is at. And so he first sends out a raven. I, I find it funny like when, you, when you read commentaries. I guess, I mean, you, you got to come up with new stuff, right? When, or else, you know, why would we need a new commentary? But there's all kinds of crazy stuff written about the raven. Okay? I, I'm not going to get into that. You can. That's fine if you think there's a whole lot more going on. But I think the raven sent out, why? Because it's a strong fly. It can fly a long, long ways. It's a scavenger bird. And, and so this is just kind of step one and figuring out where the level's at. We're not told what, you know, it doesn't, doesn't say anything about, it just says that the raven went to and fro, and then we don't hear any more about the raven, okay? So, but, but likely there's still a lot of corpses out there, a lot of dead things to eat, and so he's, he's, he's eating off of those things and coming back, and eventually it's time for the dove, okay? And so now the dove is sent out. Verse 8, he sent forth the dove to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. 
There's a lot, there's a, just a kind of a sweet picture, right? This dove goes out, it, 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 it gets out there, and, and it's like, uh, there's nowhere to land, okay? So it circles back, and he, and he, and he puts out his arm and, and brings it back in. So he waits seven more days. Seven more days, he sends it out, and this time what? Comes back in the evening with a little olive leaf in its mouth, right? Do you not see God's grace in that? Do you see how God even uses his creation to kind of say, hey, I'm going to use this dove to kind of give you hope, to remind you, hey, I'm, I'm at work here, I'm doing a thing, and so he comes back with this little olive leaf, you know, maybe, maybe the dove did it because he wants to bring it to his, to her, well, I guess it was a her, to her mate, you know, to share. I don't know. But, but it comes. And so what? What does he know? There's olive trees out there. And olive trees, again, you could do a lot of research on this, but like they're a super hardy tree. And, and so this tree is out there, and he knows what? The waters are subsiding. Now, what's really interesting here. And again, I, I don't want to make too much of this, but I, but I think in, in, hind, in hindsight for what we can see now, the olive tree, which is where we get olive oil. The original readers, as they're, as they're thinking about the temple and, and all of that, they, they would think about the, the fact that this olive oil filled the menorah in the tabernacle where the presence of the Lord was. And, it, and when added to perfume oil, it was used for anointing, which had the symbolic value to, empowering, to the empowering presence of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the dove, what do we think about with the dove? Well, as Jesus comes up out of the water, it says that the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. And so... For us now, we can look back. I don't think Noah's like, oh, the Spirit of God. I, I see all the symbolism here. But for us now, we can look back and just see God's at work in all of these things. It's so beautiful to see how this story of redemption is woven together. Well, we can only imagine how excited Noah was to see that olive leaf. Finally, something familiar to what he had known before getting into the ark. The Lord was drying the earth out and bringing life. Verse 12. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth a dove, and she did not return to him anymore. All right, so there's life to be had outside the ark for the dove, and she does not come back. In verse 13, in the 600th year, 601st year, sorry, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. How's that for a birthday present? Right? 600th year, first day, first month. What does that mean? It's his birthday, right? And, 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 and his birthday present is that he gets to remove the cover off the ark. And as he does so, he sees that there is dry ground. Interesting, verse 14, it says, In the second month, on the 27th day, the earth had dried out. Now, the first time I read this, I was like, uh, what? Uh, you know, if we're, if we're using our calendar, uh, January 1 is dry, February 27th is dry too. What's going on here? Well, I think there's, there's two different Hebrew words being used here. And, and basically what it's saying is there, it, was, it was somewhat dry, Right? When he looks, he, he can see the ground, but it's not fully dry until 
the second month of the 27th day. Now, what's interesting is with the lunar calendar versus the solar calendar, the lunar calendar is 354 days, solar calendar 365 days. Guess what? One full year on the solar calendar, they remain in the ark. And then God speaks. Then God said to Noah, this is the first time he's spoken to him since he told him to get into the ark. And now he speaks again. And God tells Noah and his family and all the animals and birds and creeping things to come out of the ark. In commanding Noah to bring out all the wildlife, God once again gives the every living thing the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Just as he had done in the original creation, in making his creation, he said to be fruitful and multiply. He says that now to the animals here in chapter 8. And in chapter 9, verse 1, he gives the same mandate to Noah and his wife and his son and sons and their wives to be fruitful and multiply on the face of the earth. The mandate will continue that he had given to Adam and Eve. Now he gives to Noah and his family and to all the animals who had been on the ark. And it says, and God blessed Noah, sorry, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's chapter nine, verse one. So, in the new creation, God gives both animals and mankind the same mandate, right? Noah and his family surely had great appreciation for the ark. But now it's time to leave, right? They're, they're not to stay on the ark. It was something that God had used to save them, but could you imagine living the rest of your life on the ark when God has said to go out of the ark? And so he tells them to go out into the world to be fruitful and multiply, to represent the Lord God on this earth, just as Adam and Eve had been told, which is really the same thing that you and I are called to do. It is to go out and to represent the Lord God. In this place, there, there is some similarities to the safety that we have on the ark, right? We come together as a people who love one another, who love the Lord God, but then we go out into the world every week and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are meant to go into the world make, making disciples as we represent the Lord God as his children. Noah responds to God's command to come out of the ark in the same way that we have seen him do so when, he when we were introduced to him in Genesis 6. Thanks, man. He goes and walks in obedience in exactly the way God had told him. Now, anybody else here been tempted to leave the ark maybe a bit earlier? Like, I can't imagine being locked up on that ark was, was super comfortable. But Noah waits on the word of the Lord before he does anything. He doesn't sit back and do nothing, clearly. Sends out the raven, sends out the dove, even removes the cover of the top. But he does not take a step out of the ark until the Lord says, it's time. He walks in obedience to the Lord. And so we read in verse 18, So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. I think that's interesting, families. 
Seems like maybe it's not just two by two at this point. I like the way MacArthur put it. He's like, they're animals. You know, what else are they going to do for a year on the ark, right? So they go out by, they go by families. And, and now, as they come out of the ark, I, it's funny, right? We, we have all these pictures and children's books about what it would have looked like. You know, basically, hey, they're coming back to the Garden of Eden. I don't think it was the Garden of Eden. We know there's some olive trees alive. But can you just imagine the devastation that's happened? The, 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 the earth is not the same as it once was. That the, the, was the waters had pushed up from the depths. There's mountains now where there had been no mountains. There's valleys now where there had been no, no valleys. Like the whole topography of the world has now changed. Likely, there's still plenty of reminders of death and destruction as they come out of the ark. Like my first thought, when God said, it's time, I would have been like sprinting out. But I, but I wonder, as they, as they get a fresh look at, and they come out of the ark and they see everything, if, if it would have just taken them aback. I find it really interesting that the first thing that they do when they get off the ark is do what? Present a sacrifice. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of, the, of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The first thing that Moses does is build an altar. It's the first time that we see the word for altar here. He, he, it's, we're going to see when we get to Genesis 12, there's some parallels here between Abraham and Noah. But he builds this altar and he functions like a priest, just like Adam was to function as a priest and he offers to the Lord some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird. And he does it in a burnt offering. Once again, Noah is exemplary in making this his first priority. Worship is his first action. It would have been so easy for him to get distracted with the many, many things that he would need to do in transitioning from life in the ark back to life on the earth. It would have been easy for, for Noah to maybe just offer one clean bird and one clean animal. But do we see what he says? He, he says that every clean bird and every clean animal. He, he does not do it sparingly. He, he does it with, with much generosity. He, he, Noah's acknowledging the grace of God in his life. The, 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 the fact that the Lord has saved him. He recalls 121 years ago that the Lord had told him that there was destruction coming on the face of the earth, that he was to build an ark, and he, he had built the ark just as God had told him. And then when the storm came, the Lord had saved him in that ark. And over the last year, he had been faithful to keep him and his family and all these animals alive, and now they are out on the earth. And he, his first thing to do was to worship the Lord. Hugh says this, joyous worship, surrender, and atonement were in this offering. The burnt offering describes, described here represented Noah's total surrender and dedication to God. Some of you are in Leviticus right now in your devos, cross-reference Leviticus 1. It's this total surrender and dedication to God. The offering was totally incinerated to picture the total giving of oneself. 
At the same time, it was holy celeb- uh, celebratory, thanking God for the salvation just rendered. As it burnt and then incinerated to ashes, Noah was indicating, in effect, all my life is yours, everything. Ought not this to be our reaction when we think about what God has done for us? Again, just imagine what Noah is seeing, what he's facing. He understands what God has saved him out of. And you think about us in our world. It doesn't take long to look out around our world and see that it is dying, that it is full of sin and wickedness and death. And God has saved us out of that. And we ought to have the same reaction to the Lord as Noah had, to to worship him wholeheartedly, to say to the Lord, everything that I have is yours. To say that joyously, to to celebrate the redemption that he has given us. This should be the the heart that we have as we come before him. To, To say to the Lord, everything that I have is yours. Everything. Lord, every day as I wake up, I'm I'm here as your servant. I I want to bring honor and glory to you. I want to bring worship to you. The writer of Hebrews put it like this. Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 16. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Just as Noah presented sacrifices to God, you and I as his followers are still to do so. In fact, Peter reminds us that we are a priesthood. 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves like living stones are being, up, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The mission and the mandate that were given to Noah are given to you and I today. To be worshipers of him, to be representatives of him as as priests of God, to, to bring him the worship that we ought to, and then to still be fruitful and multiply on this earth. This is the mandate, the mission that was given to Noah and is given to you and I today. Because God remembers, he renews peace and pattern after his storm. He renews mission and mandate for his servants. And then lastly, he renews compassion and care by his sovereignty. I want us just to highlight God's reaction to Noah's sacrifice. Verse 21. And when the Lord smelled and pleased the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. When Yahweh smells the burnt offering, he, he finds it pleasing. But, it, but it's so much more than the smell of the meat, right? If you're thinking of it in that way, you're, you're thinking of it too much like a, like a man, Right? Oh, barbecue season, I can't wait. Like it's gonna, that's not what's going on here. 
In fact, as you go through the Old Testament, there's plenty of burnt offerings that are not a pleasing aroma to God. What is the pleasing aroma? What is being indicated by this? It is meaning that God is accepting this sacrifice, that he is pleased by this sacrifice because he sees wholehearted worship and obedience to him. This is what is pleasing to the Lord. The Lord is moved by his sacrifice. As I pointed out when we went through Genesis 6, that sin matters. As we looked at Genesis 6, that we see that God was greatly distressed by the sin and wickedness that he's seen in this world. Here we see God moved in a positive way. That God is pleased when, when his people come in wholehearted worship. And so in his being moved, he, he shows now compassion and grace. The, the sacrifice pacifies God's indignation against sin, says Walke. God in his grace determines to never curse the ground and to flood the earth as he had done. Was the, would the Lord still be right to do so? For sure he would have been. But in his grace, in his mercy, he decides that he will never do it that way again. Things have not changed, we see. Man's heart, what? Still inclined to wickedness. We're going to see that next week when we get to chapter 9. Man still is wicked from his youth. Honestly, better translated, from his infancy. Right from the beginning. We see, if you're a parent... I don't think you have to wait till your child's 13 to say, oh, wait a minute, they seem inclined to wickedness. No, we all are from the earliest of days. But this offering propitiates God's wrath. I love how Hughes puts it, say, says here. It says, despite man's sin, God elected to be gracious and forbearing. God responded to Noah's sacrifice with grace to humanity for reasons totally within himself. Today, we all live under his grace through the world's sin, though the world's sin seems to compound. God graciously chooses not to flood the earth again in a global manner as he had done. Having the benefit of hindsight, we can see that God's intention instead is to bring a savior to the world who would be a permanent propitiation against sin. He shows grace not to flood the earth again and, and, and to curse as he has, but sin still must be dealt with. And so what? He sends his son. And we read this in Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 20 to 26. Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation is to appease God's wrath by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because, now listen, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God withholds judgment on this earth so that the Son might come so that you and I might put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the wrath of God that is due us rather be put on his son. 
See, the God's, God's wrath still has to come against all sin. But instead of flooding the earth, he says, instead, I will put that wrath on my son on the cross. And if you put your hope and trust in him, then the wrath of God has passed to you and been placed on him. This morning, if you have not done that, then God's wrath remains on you. And the fact that you have not yet been judged is only, again, because of his grace and his mercy, which we see here. God is patient, we read in 2 Peter 3 last week. He is patient and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He, 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 will, he is giving us time to repent, but it will not last forever. And we see the glimpse of this in verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. The seasons are going to come and go. Despite what you see on the news, the earth will continue to have winter and summer and spring and fall until Jesus comes back. Did you see that? Until when? As long as the earth remains. What does that tell us? There's coming a day where the earth will not remain. Again, back to 2 Peter 3, there's coming a day when it says that the heavens will be burned. The heavens will be set on fire. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Judgment is coming upon the earth and then a new heavens and a new earth. Again, we're reminded that sin must be judged. But in the meantime, Jesus reminds us in Matthew 5, 45, the sun comes on both the wicked and the righteous. The rains come to both the righteous and the wicked. God is gracious. But there is a day coming when we will be judged. So this morning, it's my prayer that we all have remembered God as he has remembered us. That in this new creation that we see with Noah, that we would be as him, wholehearted worshipers of him, fully devoted to him, joyous in seeing our salvation. And I want us to remember that through communion this morning. And before we do, I just want to pray for us one more time. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us your word this morning. Lord, as we look back on this account, Lord, we, we just see your grace over and over and over again. Your love, your mercy. Lord, we're thankful for men like Noah, Lord, that set the example, Lord, in this particular case, Lord, that the way that we should respond. Lord, as we consider our salvation, Lord, are, are we wholeheartedly devoted to you? God, I thank you that you know every heart here this morning. Lord, you know if we have been distracted, if we, Lord, are half-hearted in our worship, Lord, you know everything about us. And God, I pray that our worship would be pleasing to you. 
Lord, that as this church functions together, that, Lord, you would look down and be pleased by what you see. And so, God, if there be any sinful way in us this morning, God, would you reveal that to us? Would you show it to us? And, Lord, would you cause us to repent? Lord, would you be gracious to us and and give us repentance, Lord, and, and give us humility, Lord, that we might bring honor and glory to you? God, if there be anyone here right now who the, the wrath of God remains on them, God, I pray today that they would see that and that, Lord, they would be quick to repent and, and, and place their trust in you, knowing that Jesus Christ has been the appeasement of your wrath through his sacrifice, his once-for-all sacrifice. So, God, now as we remember what you have done on our behalf, God, would you be honored through our actions, through our thoughts, through our words. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.